Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm not sure if you know this story, but it, you've quite possibly read it. But I'm going to tell it to you again because it, it's at the heart of what I want to share today. And that is the story of a chap called Onesimus. Now, you might actually have seen that name and thought, one is Mus? What? <laughs> it's one of those hard names to read in the Bible. But his name's Onesimus. And he was a slave. You can find a story in the letter to Philemon, or Philemon's a better pronunciation, but Philemon, if you're more f- familiar with that. So he was originally from a city in what is uh, Western Turkey today, and province of Roman Asia, the city called Colossi. And he had, and we don't, don't hear the, the details of this, but he had got to such a stage that he couldn't handle being a slave anymore. Whether it was because his master was bad or, or he was just whatever, we're never given the, the actual reason why, but he ran away. And it's something that did happen in the ancient world. The ancient world was full of slaves and slavery. And part of the reason for that is because it was unfortunate that how easy it was to become a slave. Sometimes it was by conquest. A country would be conquered by the Romans and their people would become slaves. Those who lost were often enslaved. That's involuntary. (laughs) They didn't want to become slaves, but they became slaves. But there was also voluntary slavery. People, when they got to a place of debt where they literally could no longer feed themselves or their families, would sell them, I was going to say sometimes, but it's not the case, quite often would end up selling themselves and their family into slavery because there was more um, security in being a slave than in starving to death. There was no social grants. There were no, um, there were no easy... Uh, ways out. And for those who didn't have family anywhere nearby, this is one potential solution. There were plenty of laws in the Old Testament about how slaves should be managed. I'm going to use that word. How masters should behave towards slaves. But interestingly enough, There's no prohibition in the Old Testament against slavery. I'm going to say a little bit more about that later. So Onesimus had run away from his master, Philemon, or Philemon, from to whom the the, the letter in the Bible is written. So um, Onesimus, in his journeyings, had ended up in Rome. Now, I'm I'm no good at geography, but it fascinates me, particularly as 
I've never lived in the area or the areas where the Bible was written. So I don't know those places personally. I always end up, though, looking at a map to see, well, where's Colossae? Well, Colossae's over there in western Turkey. Then you've got the whole Aegean Sea full of islands. Then you've got Greece. Then you've got whatever that sea is between Greece and Italy. I can never remember what that's called. And then on the other side, somewhere up, uh, somewhere in the middle rather, you've got the city of Rome. And there was no easy way to get there. So Onesimus had run hard, fast, and far to end up in Rome. And somehow, while he's in Rome, he meets Paul. Now, from what we understand, Paul's visit to Rome, certainly what, the one that's recorded in Acts, he wasn't free to move around. So Onesimus has traveled far. He's gone to the capital of the empire, and he's met this guy who effectively has been living under house arrest. Now, if you think about circumstances, that is a lot of circumstances lining up towards one person coming to know Jesus. Because that's what Paul tells us in Philemon happened. That this runaway slave, Onesimus, had ended up in Rome, had somehow met, and God being no respecter of persons, had taken this runaway slave and had blessed him and anointed him and worked in him so powerfully that Paul calls him a true son. He who was, and there are some literary features of Philemon, by which I mean some very clever uses of language, that Paul uses to show this slave who caused you hurt and harm and lots of sorrow, who was useless to you, has become incredibly useful to me. And the pun, the play on words there, is on the name Onesimus, which means useful. <laughs> there must have been an irony there to Philemon in terms of this. But Paul must have been in a real dilemma. Now he, now he hears uh, Onesimus' story, he realizes he knows his master. And his master's not just somebody he bumped into in the marketplace, but his master is somebody who leads the church in Colossae. What is he going to do? You know, the letter presents it as, well, I realized this, and so we did that. I think there was a lot of hard soul-searching, and there was a lot of prayer. So, let me just repaint the picture. Onesimus, the slave, has had enough, so he runs away. What does running away mean in that context? That the slave is now or has some kind of freedom. His master's no longer there. But he's always living, looking over his shoulder. Now he comes, he meets Paul, he comes to know Jesus. Now he experiences real freedom. And it's the kind of freedom that makes him prepared to say, I'm going to go back to my master and I'm prepared to submit to him as a physical slave again. Which do you think is the greater freedom? The freedom that Onesimus 
experienced when he ran away from Philemon, or the freedom that he received when he met Jesus. The freedom that said, I'm prepared to do what's right above what my external um, circumstances dictate. There's some ways in which this is quite a hard story to relate to because slavery is something that is just completely, somehow deep in our DNA is this utter abhorrence of slavery. And just in case you worried that I don't think that, I do think that. It is appalling that one person believes that they have that level of power over somebody else. And again, more on this just now when I get to trying to define what freedom really is. But it makes it really hard for us to understand that slavery was not the ultimate evil in the Old Testament. Even in his letter to Philemon, Paul doesn't tell him, and by the way, having slaves is sin, and this guy's now your brother, and so you, you have to release him. He says, I'm sending back to you Onesimus, you now know Jesus, who's been incredibly useful to me, and actually, I love the guy. But I need you to know that you need to do what is right by him. And if that's setting him free from his slavery, his legal indebtedness to you, then do it. But he's not commanding him to do it. There is huge risk here for Paul and Onesimus. Hence why I believe there was real prayer and fasting and heart searching. And he had this long journey all the way back from Rome to be familiar, to second guess everything. Does any of this sound like it might be familiar? Lots of risk. You think you've heard the word of the Lord, but uh, you've ha- you have a lot of time to second guess. Did I hear the Lord? So we don't have the second letter to Philemon, unfortunately. But the church historian Eusebius, writing a couple of hundred years later, but he was the first major church historian, tells us of the tradition that, that, that he had received at the time. And he was closer to the events, even though he was far away from them, than we were. But the tradition says this, that when Onesimus did get back to Colossae, and he did go and knock on his uh, master's door, that, and give him Paul's letter, that the Lord did such a work in Philemon, and not just in Philemon. Severe. You could have extreme social unrest if one master just arbitrarily decides to let his slave go who has broken the law. So somehow God worked this thing out through Philemon that Onesimus did get his external freedom. He was involved in the church in Colossae. God raised him up as a leader to such an extent that after 
Philemon was no longer leading that work, that Onesimus became the leader of the church at, uh, at Colossae. And that his influence increased even beyond the local church, and he became significant translocally. All of that happened because of the risk of faith and an understanding of what true freedom really is. And I want to spend some time as we start on, our, on a short mini-series on freedom in the Spirit. I want to start by looking at Galatians 5. I just want to read two verses because he kind of introduces two thoughts in verse 1 and then verse 13. He introduces these two thoughts, which are the same thought from two different perspectives. So we'll get there. Galatians 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then verse 13, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. And in verse 13, about the fruit of freedom in believers. So today we're going to focus on that first one, on verse 1. God's purpose for us in freedom. There is a purpose that God had in setting us free, but there is also a purpose that we receive because God sets us free. So God's purpose in freeing us is, the free, is freedom, and that freedom brings life purpose to us. Let's just go over that first verse again and, and try and unpack a little bit. It's such a well-known it's such a well-known verse, but sometimes verses that are really well-known, we kind of miss what they're actually saying. So I'm going to, I don't want to call it paraphrase, but give you alternative wordings for this verse. Christ has set us free for freedom, he starts off with. So Christ has set us free. And he set us free to live free. <laughs> when, you know, if you, if you read about what's happening in Afghanistan uh, at the moment, the result of 10 years of uh, especially American conflict there, which was supposed to bring freedom, is that bondage has returned. And at least as bad as it was before. The, the difference, I think, for most Afghanis or Afghans is that now they've had a taste of external freedom, but it's been taken away. And that's almost worse and, and more cruel than never having known. Jesus freed us from sin so that we might live free. And that's where verse 13 goes on and says, this freed freedom is so absolute and so awesome and so all-encompassing that you actually can live as if you weren't free. Just keep on doing your own thing. 
But that's not why Jesus set us free. He set us free so that we can truly live free. And that's why he goes on in the second half of the verse and says, so stand. It's for freedom that Christ has freed you. So stand. <laughs> some of these, uh, some of the way the Paul and the other authors of the New Testament wrote literally is really difficult to replicate in a language like English or Afrikaans for that matter. Because this is, a, we never do this. This is a grammatical construct called a passive imperative. So imperative means command, and passive means receiving. So how do you, how, it's, it just feels wrong in English, which is why there are variations here. But what he's saying is make sure that just because you've been set free, you don't now go, keep just going on doing your own thing. You need to take a stand. This freedom is worth taking a stand on, just like Onesimus did. It's worth taking a stand on this thing. And I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. That's the imperative part of it. So Jesus has done everything for you. That's why it's passive. Now I'm telling you, Stand. Stand in freedom. Don't, uh, let it, don't let it get away from you. And don't let yourself again be subjected to a yoke of slavery. This phrase, don't let, that's another passive imperative. In fact, often when you read in, in our translations and you see let, it'll be translating a, uh, a passive imperative. And again, it's, it's hard to do that well in English, to translate it well in English. Don't let yourself again be subject to a yoke of slavery. That's good. Don't let yourself be yoked with a yoke of slavery, is what it literally says. It's that repetition of that word yoke. So what's a yoke? Sometimes if you you know, if you're traveling from here down to PE, maybe, and you, uh, you decide to sleep over somewhere in the Karoo, maybe you find a nice B&B &B or an Airbnb somewhere in the Karoo. It's likely to be a farmhouse. Often there on the wall is an old wooden yoke. It's been hung up there because now they have tractors. But you'll see these yokes, they are big and heavy. And I mean, I remember thinking the last time I saw one of them, sure, this is why you need oxen, because you need to be an ox just to carry the yoke. And the yoke is designed to then, it's the, the multi-connector that connects the oxen to the, to the cart or the plow or whatever it is. But they don't leave space for doing your own thing. And often it would happen whether you had two oxen, and they're always, always at least two. Often you would have a mature animal with an immature animal because the mature animal would guide the immature because the immature would be wanting to go off to his own squirrel. And the mature would say, no, plod, 
plod, plod. And because they were mature, and because in a yoke, you can't do two different things. You can only do one. The immature animal would learn from the mature animal, and they would pull in the same direction. I've often thought that the reason why the, 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 the halter bit around the neck is so smooth is not because they were made smooth, but they were worn smooth by learning not to pull in their own direction. That picture of a yoke is one of, negatively, of what sin does to us. Sin yokes us into a pattern of thinking and living that keeps us in slavery. Jesus uses it in a positive. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because my burden is light, and it's easy. I'm doing the bulk of the work, Jesus says. So yoke yourself in with me. He uses it in a positive sense. But all of this begs the question, what is true freedom? The Jews of Jesus' day believed that they were free. John 8, verse 31 following says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. It's not just enough to give lip service. There has to be life service as well. Verse 32, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered him. They were offended. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? <laughs> they didn't know their own history. The past 500 years since uh, the Babylonian kings had sacked Jerusalem and carted them off they had gone through one kind of enslavement to a foreign power after another. It had only been since the Romans came that they had enjoyed a modicum of freedom. But guess what? The Romans were still ruling. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed king who God had promised had not come and given them the freedom that God wanted them for them. Very short-sighted. We're not free. We can do what we want. Reading between the lines, Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm saying. You believed in me. The truth that I am and that I speak to you, that will truly set you free such that you won't be so preoccupied. You won't be so entangled and ensnared by this external freedom that you think you have. Verse 34, Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. There's no uh, sin once. If that's what's on the packaging, sin once, slave forever. Sin is a liar. Oh, it'll be fine. Buy now, pay later. Yes, the rest of eternity. 
Sin enslaves us. Verse 35, a slave doesn't remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. There is a reality that freedom, even the believer's freedom, is not automatic. I like, to, I, I like to verbalize it this way because this is how it helped me when I thought about it. God has destined us for success. He set us up to thrive. He's done everything that is possible for us to fulfill, be fulfilled and to fulfill our purpose in life, His purpose for us. So we've got to work really hard to stuff it up. And sadly, that is often the story of our lives. It requires effort to stand in that freedom, to choose. Why? Why is it like that? Because of stories like the Anasima story. Because doing what's right in freedom flies in the face of conventional wisdom. Onesimus choosing to go back and submit himself to his former master, who he'd run away from for some good reason, or for some reason at least, he risked in faith. So freedom's not automatic. If you're wondering, why is being Christian so hard? Why is it not so why is it not easier? Why, is, why isn't there breakthrough yet? Why isn't there revival? Lord, don't you see what's going on? If you've read the Psalms, that sounds a lot like many of the psalmists. So we're not the first people to have experienced this. So if God's not breaking through, what is he calling me to do? He's calling me to stand firm in the freedom for which he set me free. So the first thing that Jesus sets us free from is sin. He sets us free by setting us free from the law, the Torah, the, 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 the legal code, and the principle of sin and the principle of law. So there are still consequences to our sinful actions. But Jesus sets us free not to sin and not to fear the legal consequences of our sin. Because all of that stuff, all of that fear is the enemy of faith, is the opposite of faith. And that faith brings us and has brought us into freedom. We don't have to follow religious patterns or traditions to be and live right with God. We have to live free to live right with God. A little bit radical. If you are used to a Christianity or if you've, if you've thought or if you've experienced and felt in yourself the kind of faith that says, oh yeah, but I need to do this, that, and the other. No, you need to love Jesus and live free. And when you do that, this other stuff will just naturally 
unfurl itself. It will naturally come out in your life. This was, part, this was really at the heart of the problem with the old covenants, the whole uh, Torah system, the whole law was it said, okay, these are the things you shouldn't be doing. And because it said these are the things you shouldn't be doing, these are the things we became obsessed with and ended up doing. Because that is sinfully natural human nature. Jesus said, come and be free. And we said, no, we need a, we need a system. We need a pattern. We need some tradition. It's exhausting living free like you want us to, Jesus. Because this is an awesome freedom. It is an overwhelming freedom. It is a terrifying sometimes freedom. I bet Onesimus was terrified standing at uh, Philemon's door gate, the tent in for the whatever it was. <laughs> I bet he was. Now the tank is hitting the top. Now's the reality. Lord, I'm really free. I'm choosing to stand and to do what's right because it's right. This kind of freedom just fills us with awe. And it's a good kind of awe. It's the kind of awe that reminds us of the greatness of God. For me, one of the greatest things God has done in all of eternity is chosen to use me. I am the lowest competent, capable of everyone who has ever lived. And yet, because of that, this is the wonder of it. This is the awe of it. Because of that thing, he's chosen to show me, to show his glory through me. That is amazing. And guess what? I'm free enough to admit but not to ruin the plan of God by saying, no, 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 God, I really am too bad. Lord, I'm really free. If you want to use a donkey like me, then go ahead. Because I'm going to stand in that freedom that you have set me free for. We love boundaries. And this is part of our problem. Boundaries make life predictably secure. Or so we think, because we know sometimes they don't. But that's what they're supposed to do for us. Don't touch the hot stove. Learn that one. Won't do that again, ever. So we like to put boundaries in place. Boundaries are not bad in themselves. The law is full of boundaries, the Torah, full of boundaries. And they show us the periphery, the boundary of the holiness of God. What they don't do is they don't show us the heart of the holiness of God. And when we rely on those boundaries rather than pressing into the heart, we miss the person of God and He set us free for a living relationship. Living in freedom is living in relationship. And it's hard because instead of um, saying, okay, the last time I was in this situation, Lord, you said this. It's going back to him again and saying, Lord, here we are again. Right. This is what we did last time. What are we doing this time? The greatest example of this for me is, well, when David is 
um, is establishing his kingdom. Now he's finally got to Jerusalem. And the Philistines hear about it and they realize they've missed an opportunity. And if they don't do something now, David is going to drive them out. So they, they attack David again and again. And they come up against David at a certain place. And David goes down, they, they encamp them. Go ahead, attack them, because I'm going to give them into your hands. Huge victory. Some short time later, the Philistines come up again. Same place. Not same Philistines, because the previous ones were dead. But the Philistines. David comes with his army. Same army. And he encamps here. Same, 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 same. And same. He asked the Lord, what should I do? This is what we did last time. Should I attack them? And the Lord says, no. Do something different. Same, 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 same. God says, do something different. That's exhausting. Because it means we don't rely on our patterns. You know, when you're seeing as the rugby, is still a little fresh in my mind. You can see sometimes when we're playing and the opposition twigs to the patterns that, that we've been playing. And suddenly, stuff which was going amazingly and we were running circles, it all goes wrong because they've seen the patterns. We're relying on the patterns rather than on the relationship working together. God God's freedom calls us to live in that dynamic relationship with him. So freedom is relational. Just in case you didn't get that from when Jesus says, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am, the, we read it just now. Um, he who, come, who believes in me, I've lost it. I am free, freedom. What does he mean? He means, I'm freedom. Your relationship with me keeps you free and guarantees you not only understanding, but living in true freedom. So what is, just a couple of things I want to say about what the nature of this true freedom is. And, and, and why do I even need to say this? Surely freedom is self-evident. It's not being a slave. Well, yes, Maybe there's a little more. Because there is a Western cult of freedom. Freedom is politically the highest value that Western society holds, even above capitalism. Freedom. But the, the, the expression, I'm not going to say the definition, the expression of this freedom is radically different to the kind of true freedom that I've been talking about this morning. It's a freedom that leads me to feel entitled to be free. And what, what is free in this cultic sense? It is no limitations. It is I, it ultimately boils down to, I set my own boundaries and you may not impose any on me. Not a great basis for a political system. It's called chaos. But it leads us towards entitlement. I'd love to say none of us have ever experienced this, but we live in a system that values this kind of freedom. And the irony is it hates, despises, loathes 
the two true freedom that only Christ gives. Why? Because that is a freedom to. And I just want to say a couple of things about the fact that the freedom Christ gives us frees us from, but it also frees us to. So what does it free us from? First of all, it frees us from the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin. Jesus' death on the cross and what what our faith in Him and what He's done for us does is it sets us free from the bondage to sin. Both the sinful attitude and the sinful actions. There is also a reality in which it it delivers us, it sets us free from the eternal consequences of sin. Consequences. Something that we don't like. Something that the cult of freedom says, no, no, we're not having any consequences. I can do what I like and I'm not going to reap any reward from that except the positive stuff. We are free from the bondage to sin and we are free from the fear of the consequences of sin. This, more than anything else, is the key to understanding Onesimus' state of being was he was no longer afraid of what Philemon could do to him because he was truly free. Ultimately, this is what Jesus gives us, and this is what the resurrection guarantees. The resurrection is radical, not because it's unprecedented. Whoa, dead people coming to life, as much as that's true. It's unprecedented because what what was happening? Jesus was a problem for the Jews and for the Romans. So how do you deal with a problem and make it not come back? You kill it. Now you've got a serious problem if you kill it and it comes back to life. Death is defeated. Where, O death, is your sting? That's the freedom that Jesus brings us in the resurrection. And the effect of Hitler, because we still have to pass through that experience of death. But because he's already died and been resurrected, we get to live in some of the consequences of his freedom. So we are freed from, but we are also freed to. We are freed to live wildly, radical lives for Jesus. We were not free to do that before Jesus set us free. But now we are. I don't know about you, but my aspiration in life is not to be mediocre. I just want to be normal. I just want to fit in. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know what a fallacy that is. You will never just fit in. Jesus in you is on an eternal pedestal that is visible through all ages and in all places in the universe (laughs) and outside of the universe for that matter. We have been set free to live wildly radical lives for Jesus, to live in a loving relationship with God. The more we relate to him, the more we discover how loving he is. We discover for ourselves, we experience it. We are free to be uninhibited and unrestrained in our individual expressions of life and worship to Onesimus. He was so radically set free 
that he was uninhibited and unrestrained. In fact, inhibitions are a sign of slavery. If you find yourself feeling inhibited, it is a sign of slavery. I'm just going to use some silly church examples, but this is true for every area of life. If you, if you find yourself thinking, oh, I can't stick my hand up in worship because I'm not sure what other people will think of me, or, oh, everybody's going to look at me, get over yourself. You're not that important. Being inhibited is a sign of slavery. There's a, there's a, there's a slavery there. You, haven't, you aren't living in the freedom for which Christ has set you free. Ultimately, we are free to become like Jesus. Romans 8, verse 28. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He predestined you. He destined you before you'd done anything good or bad to be conformed. Conformed means you weren't like that. You needed to be formed into this. What is the forming? Into the image of Jesus. God wants you to be like Jesus. He's not setting an impossible task for you. He set you up for freedom, and He's destined you for success. Freedom from selfishness, freedom to love God in life, and to live passionately. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That thrills me, and that's what Jesus has set you and me up for, because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It was for freedom that Jesus died for me. The Holy Ghost came and raised him up, and now he's living in me. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. <laughs> I'm free to even embarrass my son because Jesus is living in me. It was a song God gave me years ago and brings, back into my, brings it back into my heart from time to time to remind me of this truth here in Galatians 5.1. So, God wants us to know true freedom, the love that he has for us in his son, not a reliance on external patterns and practices, but life in the spirit. We need to embrace the awesomeness of this freedom and live practically dependent on God by the spirit in a loving relationship. Because as much as we have been set free from all the stuff that we talked about, we've been set free into even more. The Spirit within us strives to form the character of Jesus in us and to give us the reality of purpose that the false cult of freedom promises. Can I ask you to stand? Can I ask you to close your eyes because God's at work amongst us. And he wants to put his finger on a, on a couple of things to reestablish 
His freedom in you and me. Are you trusting in your own learned patterns and habits? Or are you trusting in the living? Because only He can give God in you. Because only He can give real freedom. If that's been challenging your heart, ask Him right now. Maybe you've never submitted to His Lordship that brings true freedom, that makes you a son and a daughter. Do that now. Just ask Him to forgive you your sins, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You believe Jesus died for you. And ask Him to be Lord of your life. Maybe as I've been talking, the Lord has been popping into your mind false freedoms. Things that you think are freedom, but they're actually bondage. It's amazing how easy this happens. But the Lord has been putting His finger on those things as you've been listening to Him this morning. Right now, ask Him to forgive you for putting your trust in them to set you free and receive the freedom that God has for you. It's His promise. If you ask Him, He won't give you anything other than the good that He's always determined. Freedom also has a physical manifestation, healing. And I really sense the Lord wanting to reach out His hand and heal people today, this morning. So I've given you a whole lot of different things that really feel the Lord has been saying this morning. If any of them is you, can I ask you to just come forward so that I can pray with you, so that we can pray with you? If you need physical healing, if, you, if there's an area you want someone to stand with you in for, for freedom, for true freedom, overcome false Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.